Are you ready, SpongeBob fans? The SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, is finally here in the U.S. I can't believe it. It's finally here. It's great. And it is a fantastic film. So much fun. Lights Camera Jackson here for the LCJ Q&A podcast, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, Thursday, March 4th on Digital and Paramount+. Plus. And joining me is director Tim Hill. Tim, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, everyone. How's it going? It's going well. So glad to have you on and to talk about this third SpongeBob movie. The legacy of this franchise is so incredible, and you've been involved in it on and off over the past 25 years. What were your initial goals for this third movie? Well, um, make a funny movie. I think that's sort of always been how we started the show. Whatever made us laugh, we, we never really tried to make it for kids. It was just kind of... You know, it's Steve Hillenberg's brain, and and um, I was glad to get in there and help him develop it. But it was always whatever we liked, and uh, and so I tried to keep that ethos as a goal. You know, that it's fun, it's funny, it's silly, it's stupid, it's emotional, it's action, it's a lot of physical comedy, it's a road trip, so it's a driving story. All those elements kind of come second after you want to, you know, sort of keep it within the SpongeBob world, but then going CG and all these other things happening. Um, and, and so the story was bigger, you know. Mm. Um, when we started, it was like a 120-page script, so <laughs> I had to whittle that thing down. Uh, there were a lot of songs in it. Originally, it was a, like, pretty ambitious musical kind of extravaganza, but... Songs are the first things to go. So just for story and brevity and, you know, playability, I, I think we made the right choice. There's still some really fun songs in it. But, you know, you have your, your big ambitions and then you meet reality. And you go, oh, it's too long. There's so much there that I want to bounce off of, Tim. That's amazing that, that originally this was uh, a big, ambitious musical. You're right in that there are some terrific songs in the movie still, um, including one towards the end. And you have this big, surreal uh, sequence with Snoop Dogg and some others that you kept in. I mean, th- those live-action elements embody what SpongeBob's all about, which is surrealism. Uh, how was it for you with, with the live-action? Well, it's kind of my jam, you know, doing live action and having um, animated characters in there and having actors react to them when they're really just looking at a piece of wood or something. <laughs> <laughs> you try to make it as real for everybody. But um, I really like doing that. I, it, really, it takes a lot of um, visualization and planning. And um, so just in terms of technically, yeah, and I had some of my old crew from my other movies who've done it before, so it made it a little easier. And then great actors to work with, really fun. Danny Trejo and his great tacos. (laughs) So it was really enjoyable, and we had a really good time shooting that. Keanu Reeves is hilarious, too, as Sage. So funny. Uh, You did also direct Alvin and the Chipmunks and Hop. So, yes, you're well-known for the whole live-action animation combo. And and speaking of songs as well, the soundtrack in this is so fun because you incorporate some iconic songs. My Heart Will Go On, Take On Me, Live in La Vida Loca. Did you really have free reign with the budget to choose what songs you wanted? You know, um, no one ever said no to... You know, in terms of money, the collaboration was let's find the best music, and we have a great super uh, music supervisor, and um, 
La Vida Loca just came out of crazy time in Las Vegas kind of vibe, you know. Um, Sponge and Patrick going wild in, in a <laughs> casino world and losing their focus um, and, and kind of getting lost in it. Uh, take on me, yeah, that was, um, you know, Steve Hillenberg was a big fan of um, Flaming Lips and that was um, Rivers Cuomo, I think, did that remake um, of Take On Me. But mm. it's great, great music. So vivacious, the, 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 the whole them going to the casino part and losing focus and losing money and, and just enjoying themselves is so entertaining. And, and that whole lost city of Atlantic City is so detailed. It is just amazing. How was it and how difficult was it designing that incredibly vivacious lost city of Atlantic City? We had great people working on it, you know, to be honest. And also, I just remember Atlantic City as being kind of the step-sister of Las Vegas, you know, with all the thematic stuff. And I thought it was a perfect world for SpongeBob, They love, you know, with Goofy Goober and mm. that kind of, um, you know, themed restaurants, themed casinos. And so we wanted to build it up pretty big because it is the sea of power anyway for the king. And... um have big avenues and fun. There were a lot of cool designs that we couldn't quite get in there of like uh, like electric carts uh, from the 50s on the boardwalk of Atlantic City where people drive around in them. Hmm. And so we made kind of funny SpongeBob versions of that. Um, well, I wish we'd used more, but like I said, the movie got a little long. So um, not all we got in, but enough to make it really powerful and uh, colorful and a really cool set. Uh, I'd love to do more in that set. There was so much. <laughs> yeah. So much there. Yeah. There's wheels and uh, crazy oh, stuff. All the colors. And yeah, I would love to see maybe a return there at some point. Tim Hill is my guest right now at the LCJ Q&A podcast. You mentioned the script was originally 120 pages and there was there were things you had to cut out. I remember when the title of this movie was going to be It's a Wonderful Sponge. And as I'm watching the, the third act of Sponge on the Run... There's a very well done, very emotional scene involving many of the main characters up on a stage talking about SpongeBob, and I feel like that embodies that It's a Wonderful Life feel. How much of that It's a Wonderful Life concept, besides that sequence, uh, made it into the final product of the movie? Well, you're right in that um, it, that theme is still there, and, and I think it's pretty strong. And the idea of, you know, someone who, and at the end of A Wonderful Life, everyone chips in and uh, replaces the money that Uncle Billy, or what I think was his name, <laughs> lost. And um, they do it for um, Jimmy Stewart's character um, because they love him, and he's always been there for them. And so that's sort of kind of what we drafted off of for that idea. Now, originally there was a little bit more to the beginning because um, Camp Coral was more of a linear construct. It started in Camp Coral, mm. and then we kind of dissolved to 20 years later. You know, part of what the impetus for the movie, what what I think Mark Dean was trying to uh, go after was it was a celebration of the 20th anniversary of the show. Um, but then COVID happened, so I guess we're on the 21st. <laughs> I don't know where we are. But that was part of why we wanted to make it kind of... Um, epic, celebrate the whole thing, see how they all met, see them as kids, 
And uh, we eventually kind of put that into those testimonials you've mentioned and mm-hmm. instead of opening the movie that way. Because mm. what happened, we ended up kind of having two first acts, which is never good. So we had a whole Camp Coral, like, thing, and then you kind of start the movie. So it's kind of a prologue that was too long. But, but it did set up the uh, wonderful life idea a little better, because that sort of tracks what, um, what the movie did, what Frank Camper did. Um, but it's still there, and uh, it's still really strong. Yes, yes. I don't know, maybe that's too granular for your show, but... Um, no, no, it did happen in movie making. <laughs> kind of go with... Oh, I thought that was how it was going to go. It's exactly going to be different. Right, right. No, it makes total sense, and that sequence, when you see it, um, it it's fantastic. It's, it's because you're right that this story and these emotions are bigger than the show and they have to be in, in a feature sense and they really work. It's for somebody who's, who's grown up with Spongebob and has had Spongebob as a part of his life for a long time, uh, that sequence uh, means a lot. And, and I'm sure Steven Hellenberg would have loved how this film turned out. Um, how was it working with him before his passing on this particular project? Well, it, you know, the idea kind of sprung from his brain anyway. They wanted to make a movie. They knew they had, um, you know, this goal of the of the anniversary of the show. And um, Steve was still involved in the, in the series. And so we would get together and meet. And he had this idea um, based on a, a SpongeBob episode where Gary goes missing. I think it's called mm-hmm. Where's Gary? You yeah. Know, if you remember that one. Yeah. And he, <laughs> and he ends up in this cat lady crazy cat lady <laughs> house full of snails. And, you know, I think he always liked what that did for the character emotionally, like the loss of a pet, starting a story and driving it for the whole movie, which it does. <clears throat> and so he, we talked about that, and then we started talking about this skincare idea. I don't know if you know about it, but apparently parts of snails are used in some cosmetics right yes that's explored deeply in the movie yeah 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 <laughs> it is, yes if you didn't know that well here it is uh <laughs> and so it gave us also an ecological theme about you know how we treat our fellow creatures and steve was pretty big on that you know that's that's a big thing for him as he was a marine biologist from when he you know he graduated with that degree mm. and he actually helped kids uh, they had a little i think he was involved in a program where kids would discover, you know, sea life and stuff down at the marina. So, you know, he had a background in that, and and he was very... In fact, um, they're doing this premiere. All of the proceeds are going to um, heal the bay. Do you know that? Oh, that's wonderful. Is that the um, is that the one at the Rose Bowl that they're going to do, the drive-through? Yeah, room? and that's something that was pretty close to his heart. He's a surfer, and he, he lived out in Malibu's um, part of his part of the time so he's really into the ocean and and keeping it from getting too far gone and spoiled so this is really great that they're doing that yes it is and yeah he he was able to teach kids about uh, undersea creatures and undersea life and and then through the show teach them even more i have to ask you tim just briefly shifting to the war with grandpa because you also directed that and and it's been a huge success during this pandemic 19 weekends in the box office top 10 how surprised have you been during this period of time by the success of that film 19 weeks, I didn't even realize that. Um, you know, that's one of those that got caught up in the Weinstein kerfuffle. It was a... Right. I, 
I guess okay to mention that. But it, it was Bob Weinstein's. Uh, they were going to distribute it, and that movie, kind of, I mean, that um, company kind of imploded, so it sat on the shelf for a little bit. And uh, they finally were able to release it through 101. And um, it feels really good, actually, to know that people are enjoying it, especially now when it's people, as far as I can tell, need that kind of entertainment. And um, it was so much fun to make, and I was really pleased with it. So it kind of came back from the dead, I guess. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I went through periods of uh, grief and, you know, oh, no, it's never my movie, my movie. It got picked up and, and um, it performed really well, considering. So, yeah, I'm I'm really jazzed about it. Yeah, yeah. The, Christopher Walken has some hilarious lines in that. He really does. And, uh, yeah, and, and then earlier this summer when the SpongeBob movie was released in Canada and it made $5 million in, in the Canadian theaters, were you following some of that with, with the first uh, part of the release of this movie, how it was doing? I wasn't really. I I didn't really track it. Maybe just because I didn't want to know. <laughs> it was Everything was shut down. Right. And I, we really, you know, when you make one of these movies for two or three years, you want the premiere and you want the red carpet and the fun of and you also want to show it to the crew you know and have a a big thank you party um which we couldn't do you know because it was all closed down so that was that was unfortunate but you know that stuff happens Right, um, but you got you got Paramount Plus. You got Paramount Plus. That's that's debuted the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. Quickly before I let you go, Tim. You know now you you've had these two movies released back to back almost. Um, are are you taking a little break now, or do you have another project uh, lined up? I'm yeah, I'm pretty much um, sitting at home uh, to be honest, and I, I'm looking at stuff and taking meetings. But um, I, I I don't know if the world is is really back in full force for development and making movies uh, I guess that'll happen soon so it's been a pretty quiet since um, last January for me so I'm ready yeah. send me a script I'm ready perfect Spongebob phrase that's it Yes. Tim Hill, congratulations on this movie and the success you had with War with Grandpa as well. SpongeBob movie. Appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, digital and Paramount Plus, Thursday, March 4th. It is fantastic. Please check it out, SpongeBob fans. I'm Lights Camera Jackson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the LCJ Q&A podcast.